To the new year, I don't know where you've been, but the party continues. Bass Edge Radio, 2016. And of course, the party is hosted by none other than MegaWare Keelguard. Protect your boat from grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps. Do yourself a favor. Start the year off right and visit them at keelguard.com. Aaron, we've been rocking the mic for many, many years, eight years now, and uh, can't be more excited than to kick this one off. Episode 223, coming your way right now. the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Aaron, I want to thank you for having me back this year, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't uh, put your pink slip in your Christmas card. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, although it was a little rocky for me at the New Year's party, I survived and I'm still here to continue the party. Well, of course, you know, I, I know how you like your uh, apple flavored Smirnoffs, the umbrella in your drink. Uh, did you keep the same theme this year or, or did you venture out a little bit and hit some of the I, actually, I changed it up. You know, I'm trying to culture myself here. So I spent some time in Austin and uh, went to this really cool bar and had a Vesper. So if anybody knows, that's like the James Bond martini that he had in uh, a little special martini that he had in Casino Royale. So um, I'm trying to up my game and uh, not so much my drinking game, but just my cultural awareness. Well, yeah, stick with that story because I think according to what I understand, that's uh, about one step above a spritzer. So um, anyway, there you go. But hey, exciting times for Bass Edge, as I'm sure our diehard Bass Edge Nation has already figured out because we are doing the soft launch. But uh, official Bass Edge website, Mr. Travis Whitener has killed it with the new design, uh, the interface. Would love to hear some feedback on that. But Kurt, I'm loving it. Yeah, man. I got to say the easy part about the BassEdge.com website is everything is right at your fingertips. You got the podcasts. Um, we're always loving feedback and wanting the more questions that we can ask the pros. It's as simple as ever 
now. You can just click right on the Ask the Pro section and uh, fill out the little form and ask any question you like. Certainly love to get that on air for you. Man, there's all kinds of other stuff. You got the shop page. What do we got in the shop page, Aaron? Well, as you remember, I don't know if uh, the rumor mills or the message boards were going crazy, but it seems as uh, Dr. J. McNamara's book and the DVDs were like flying off the yeah. shelves over the yeah. Christmas holidays. And now I guess people are getting geared up for the boating season, fishing season, even though it's kind of cabin fever. The Lucas Oil seems to be doing well. So, you know, a lot of variety. And of course, I like it. Of course, it's me, Kurt. I'm going to take credit for this, even though it's not because you can't see my face. But, okay. you know, holding that big fish, the Bass Blaster logo on there. By the way, it's really not me, but I would like to be holding that fish. That's right. Well, that is a very nice fish. And if you click on that fish, you can click right through to Bass Blaster and uh, be sure to sign up. So obviously, we've been talking about Bass Blaster for about a year now and the uh, information and fun that Jay Kumar presents to uh, all the bass fishing community is really awesome through that. So uh, an easy click through there to get your uh, updates for Bass Blaster and also to subscribe. We're updating the website with some great articles. looks like we're having an article going to be coming out about once a month. So uh, that'll be fun and and folks can get their read on with the uh, BassEdge.com new website. Rumor has it, Kurt, that uh, there might be some streaming video coming down the pipeline, but uh, of course, I generally don't get those memos until after those decisions are already made, but, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> That's right. A lot a lot of fun stuff going on with Bass Edge, obviously the new website, so uh, be sure to check that out. I tell you what, starting with the new, but at the same time, let's truck back into a little bit of the old. We've got an old-time Bass Edge. Matter of fact, he was our first angler in the very first episode ever back in January 2007. Let's bring aboard Pete Ponds for some new Bass Edge Radio. Two fishermen came together with one agenda. To construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish. With our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride, extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat. We're building a legend. Legend Boats. Well, when the holidays come and go, you know, we're always hanging out with close family and friends. Today, as we kick off the new year, we bring in a longtime friend of Bass Edge, SLW Pro Angler Pete Ponds. Great to have you back on the program, Pete. Man, it's great to be here, guys. I tell you, it's uh, been a little while, so I'm anxious to get started and talking to you guys. Well, it's always awesome to chat with you again, Pete. But, uh, you know, before we dive into the fishing stuff, I've got to know, what did you get for Christmas this year that is PG-13 or above? <laughs> well, you know... I'll okay, you, we'll I've, go on I've, to the next question. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> uh, I'd have to say iPhone is probably the biggest thing that I got, and it's uh, you know one of the new iPhone sixes. So I'm still learning how to use that. Man, you got rid of the back while. phone. What's up with that, man? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I had a BlackBerry before that, and that's about as far as I ever moved with it. So uh, it's it's a lot of learning curve there. You know, I also got some Lawrence Depth Finder, so uh, I'm also on a learning curve with that as well. Really? Can't, you can't nice. go wrong you know, with the Lawrence Depth Finder. Lawrence, you know, supporting Bass Edge now, yeah. part of Pete yeah. Ponds. I got to dig that. Used to be uh, with a different electronics company. So how tough is that when you start diving in? Have you, have you been able to get into it here as the new year's gotten underway? Yeah, you know, I've spent a lot of time looking on the Internet and then researching. All of them are basically the same. But uh, the controls are, are a little different, you know, as far as what panel you go to. Maybe the sensitivity settings are a little bit different. But uh, I'm very excited because I can, I can see the down imaging on this thing. I mean, you can see individual bait fish. You can see individual fish. It's just an incredible tool, and I know it's going to help me in the coming season. That's awesome. What about new things that maybe you got in your stock and stuff or any kind of uh, lures that you got ready for? Got any new bandits out there that's not yeah. hasn't necessarily hit the market yet that you can see? You know, <laughs> I, I do. I do have a couple of secrets on bandits, but I can't really talk about them right now. They're coming out with some uh, new products, and then also uh, maybe some good old new products. So I don't really do know how to word. That. Are you saying we're gonna have to wait till like June or July and ICAST to hear about this stuff? <laughs> Yeah, I'm afraid so. God, you know, I kind of have to keep my mouth shut about it. Well, you know that, sure new, that new iPhone, you can take a picture and text it to us, and we won't tell anybody, you know. That's right. Yeah, okay. We, just wait. It'll, it'll come to you in just a minute. Right. <laughs> there, hey, Pete, wait right send, there, yeah. You can send Aaron the photo. Just send me the lure. I'll help product test. No problem. This past year, in 2015, you fished the FLW Tour, man. Had a really good splash. You had a real solid year, you know, kind of starting in a, in a new way, you know, kind of switching tours. I got to ask, was last year's New Year's resolution part of your 2015 success? And if so, what do you got moving forward for 2016? Well, you know, probably the biggest difference for me was a clean slate. It's almost like uh, pushing the refresh button, you know, and I didn't really know as many people that I knew on the Bassmaster Elites, and so therefore I was fishing my strengths, and I think because I had a fresh start, a clean slate, and a big ambitions, then, then I produced a little bit better year, and hopefully I can just improve upon that this year. You know, I've been doing this for 25 years or more, and sometimes you just need a new start, and I believe that's what that gave me last year. Major League Fishing as well, I fished that as well, and really excited about that. It's kind of been a new season for me last year, and this year it should continue, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, speaking of new seasons, I guess it's safe to say that we're in the middle of, of your off season, and how are you preparing for your new season coming about here in 2016? Well, you know, I took a little break, and normally I don't do that. Back about a month ago, I took a little break, did a little hunting and all that, and I did not fish as much, and it sounds silly, but I've never kind of done that before, and what that's done for me is gave me the Jones to get out there and get ready, and uh, I've done a lot of research on the lakes that we're going to, you know, internet is always a good tool, and then map study as well, so I'm very prepared for this coming season. So you start fishing now that you've kind of had that off season. Winter fishing in the south doesn't shut down like it does in most of the northern climates. Pete, when those water temps are in the low 50s, high 40s, what tactics are you looking to capitalize with? Well, you know, Kurt, I love fish crankbait. Uh, you know, it's just about one of the things that I really like. This time of year, I will go to a little bit tighter wiggle or even a lipless crankbait. Especially when the water temperature gets in the 40s and 50s, the lipless crankbait is dominant pattern. And most of 
time whenever I fish that bait, I'm fishing the north sides of the pockets where the water temperature is starting to warm up a little bit. Throw it out there, pump it like a yo-yo, and a lot of times the strikes will come on the paws. And uh, when that happens, I'm very careful to feel that and then mark it in my eyesight. I look and line it up with a pier or a dock or wherever I may be, a tree, and then I make a, a repetitive cast in exactly the same place. You know, I drop the power poles down. Very important to get your boat to stop and then throw right in the same place, but you have to do that very quickly because those fish swim around in wolf packs, 8 or 10 or 15, and sometimes those are the bigger fish of the season. You know, on a lake that the average size is 4 or 5 pounds, you'll catch the 6-pounders. On a lake that the average size is 2 pounds, you'll catch the 4-pounders. So uh, it's a very strong pattern that time of year. So to get back to the answer to your question, I use crankbait on the northern side of the pockets. Uh, I use a very tight wiggling crankbait like a lipless crankbait or even a banded 300 series crankbait. Well, you brought up one thing there that I want to go back to. You said on the northern side of the pockets. As Oprah says, that's a tweetable moment, according to Kurt. But yeah. <laughs> what uh, what does the northern side of the pocket have to do with anything, Pete? Well, you know, it's protected from the wind. Most of the time, when the fronts come in, the wind's going to change direction, blow out of the north. So, therefore, the southern side of that pocket or lake is going to be the colder side. The northern side is going to be the warmer side. It's because of the protection and it gets sunlight, the correct sunlight on it. So, usually, one or two degree water temperature makes a huge difference in where those fish are located this time of year. Well, you know, you have primarily lowland reservoirs in, in your home state of Mississippi, and, and you know from you and I spending so much time together in the boat, I'm from the exact opposite. A lot of places I can't lower my power poles, but only to slow my drift down. Um, so with the lack of deeper water in those type of impoundments, where are you looking for fish trying to move out, perhaps with colder water temperatures or frontal conditions? Well, again, I mean, I think we're going to be on the, the northern side, but what you're looking for there is you move out to the first deep water. So you're closest to that bank, but then you pull out to the first point or deep water that has any kind of structure on it. And usually that's where you catch your fish. They're a little bit harder to catch. So don't expect to go out in uh, January and catch 100 fish a day. You know, you're going to catch a better quality of fish but you're not going to catch near as many. So a good day, you know, on most lakes in January, like now, would probably be, you know, 10 fish, maybe even 15 fish. But I rarely have those days where I go out this time of year and catch, you know, 60, 80 fish. Now, I have done it, like I said, on the lipless crankbait, but most of the time it's a process. And uh, the bite comes a little bit slower as the water temperature drops because the fish's metabolism slows down and their feeding cycle slows down. So hopefully I answered your question there. Yeah, when you say that first drop, on a lowland reservoir, Pete, where are you looking depth-wise? I mean, you know, Aaron mentioned, you know, he's throwing his power poles just so he can drift a little bit slower on a lake like around his house. What's the topography like on that lowland? And when you say deep, how deep are you trying to locate those fish that time of year? Kurt, all that's kind of general. It depends on the average depth of your lake. If you've got a, a lake that's average depth is uh, four feet, which sounds like shallow, but down here in Mississippi, that's not uncommon to have like Ross Barnett where their depths can be four or five feet. That doesn't mean we don't have any deep water, but that does mean that water that's 20 feet is extremely deep. So I'm looking at places that come out six, seven feet, and that's deep. 
in uh, Ross Barnett in lakes that are a lowland-type lakes that the average depth is. But if you're fishing a lake that's generally deeper than that, you know, that's much deeper than that, then you, of course, 8, 10 feet would be a shallow range. So you pull off where, the, say, the ledge drops from 10 to 20 feet. So that's the depth that I would concentrate on, and it's going to depend on what style lake you're in. That leads me to a complex question, quite frankly. Um, and before- He doesn't give out relationship yeah, yeah, advice, this, this- Kurt. It's, it's, it's not this type of show. Okay. Then let me let me change to this question, which is still pretty complex, actually. Um, I'll tell you what. Before we dive into this question, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. If it's hard to stop or you hear squealing and grinding noises during braking, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts. You'll find the brake parts you need from trusted brands like BrakeVest, BrakeVest Select, and Wagner ThermoQuiet at everyday low prices. Play it safe with brake parts from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Killguard, returns with FLW Pro Angler Pete Ponds. Protect your boat from grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps. Visit them at keelguard.com. Well, guys, as I alluded to before the break, I really want to break down a thought process for our listeners. Aaron, you kind of kicked it off talking about drifting your power poles and then Pete talking about being four or five, maybe eight feet deep. But then depending on what kind of impoundment he was on, you know, he might be looking at a drop that goes from 15 to 20 or something of that range. So topography provides a major player in what kind of fisheries that we're actually targeting. Pete, break down for us the different types of bodies of water and then how that changes bass behavior. Wow, what a question. (laughs) I would have to say the different styles of lakes or bodies of water. In general, I would have to think, of course, we talked a little about lowland reservoirs, and I'm just going to go over some that are in my mind here, and then we'll go back and review them if y'all want to. And, of course, you have highland reservoirs, which Aaron reminds me of that you know, up there by Table Rock and all that, that he fishes often in rivers, uh, natural lakes, and you have man-made impoundments. Probably the man-made impoundments are one of the hardest, and I want to talk a little bit about that in just a minute. But let's go back to Lowland Reservoir. We talk some about, you know, how they're shallow. Most of the time, it's in a flat-type area where the terrain is really flat, and, and it doesn't have much contour at all, and if it does, it's a lot of stumps and a lot of vegetation. Then, you know, as far as the average depth on those lakes, I think most of them are, are relatively shallow. Well, that makes me think of, Pete, you know, when <laughs> when I first met you, I don't know, 10 years ago, 9 years ago, or whatever, we were fishing together, and... uh you know, it's like I don't have more than 15 feet of line on my reel. I don't need it, you know, but there is some truth to that, kind of the point that you bring up. Sure, that's right. Well, and a lot of times I think, too, in those lowland impoundments, Pete, you talk a lot about the uh, flat land that's available where you're going to have a lot of stumps and vegetation. And isn't it true, you know, I find that in typical lowland impoundments, you have smaller ditches, like let's say a highland reservoir, like here at Amistad is a highland reservoir, or as you mentioned, you know, up at Table Rock where Aaron's at the Highland Reservoir. They kind of have deep channels, which are really defined and easy to locate. Whereas on a lowland lake, you've got really their channels, but probably not the right word for it. They're more or less 
ditches. So fish relate to those a little bit differently. You know, a lot of times those ditches, too, are silted in in, in the lowland reservoirs. And so you really have basically a different content on the bottom. And, uh, you know, when you're looking on your Lowrance step finders, you can see the difference in those. And sometimes just, you know, one foot difference makes a huge amount of difference on whether a bass is going to be around there or not. And you talked a little bit about highland reservoirs. When I start thinking about highland reservoirs, I think about bluff ends. Aaron, I mean, man, I know that you know about bluff ends. You know, the rock that's involved in the highland reservoirs. On those lakes, you know, bluff ends are a key factor, and you've got the pole timber. What else we have on highlands, Aaron? Well, you know, and that's what I was going to throw out, because oftentimes on the highlands, bluff ends, you're exactly right, Pete. At any given time, it doesn't matter if it's summer, winter, spring, or fall, you can go to a bluff end because of the transition. What I'm referring to here is where a bluff vertical structure then perhaps wraps around the point where the bank or the topography turns back in to create a cove or a pocket. Then you have some big boulders that then reduces maybe down to some softball size, perhaps eventually to pea gravel. So you have this highway, right, that fish can transition to. And we all know that in vertical structure, you know, it makes it very easy for them to move up and down based upon comfort in the food chain. But do fish suspend, do you guys think, as much in a lowland reservoir as what they do perhaps in some of the waters that I'm familiar with? Does that become a factor? You know, for me, I would say no, they, they don't suspend as much, uh, not near as much, because there's not as much area. Whenever you get on into, like, you know, rivers, the current it comes to play. You know, we talked a little about lowland reservoirs, high reservoirs, rivers. You know, I have to think about current and then the mix of mud and, and shallow water and then also the cut banks. You know, the outside turn of the river or the inside turn of the river are very important whenever you go to catch fish and, and where the fish are located. You know, current kind of breaks all the rules, and I've always learned that. You know, even water temperature, it breaks every rule that we know in bass fishing. Whenever you have current in a situation, it changes all the dynamics, and the fish seem to, like a predator, they'll hide behind something, an object, a big boulder, or a stump, and they get back there, and they're just like your cat at home. You know, whenever a bait comes by, they jump out, and they ambush it. So rivers, for me, is really an exciting place because a lot of times it plays, you know, with crankbaits. Kurt, what do you think about rivers, Ed? Well, growing up on the Potomac, Pete, I got to agree that current kind of replaces a lot of factors out there. If you even go further, you know, into natural lakes, obviously there's not a whole lot of current there in a lot of regards. There's typically some kind of river or feeder that's coming into that lake. But, you know, when you're fishing a river system, current obviously positions the fish based on the time of year. You know, in the springtime or in the wintertime, they're kind of wanting to stay out of the current. But in the fall or in the summer, they're wanting to stay inside that current. So depending on what time of year and behavioral patterns the fish are going through really kind of sets up the fish, whether they're going to be in or out of the current. But, you know, the great thing is, is that fish are always in a different behavioral mode. Even if you're in April, there's some fish spawning, some fish pre-spawn and some fish post-spawn. And I think what that enables you to do is target a behavior that's comfortable with your fishing style. So when you break down all these different types, you know, it really shows it's important to understand what kind of body of water you're fishing because you're not going to pull up to a highland reservoir in late December or early January, even late February, and really find a whole lot of fish in that shallow zone because generally they're more of a deeper water oriented fish in my opinion. Whereas if you go to a lowland impoundment or a natural lake, those fish tend to be a little bit more shallow oriented. So depending on the time of year and what kind of body of water that we're fishing plays a huge role in how we need to target that particular body of water. 
Would you agree? Oh, yeah. One question I want to ask you, Kurt, because I know you're an expert on it, is the tidal waters. I mean, when you talk about rivers, yeah, tidal, read my mind, tidal changes a lot. Yeah, man, I'm, I know everybody's going to be interested in hearing a little bit about what you say on that. Well, with the tidal waters, a lot of the feeding behavior is totally dependent by the tide. If you're not fishing a section of the water that is in that prime time, which is generally that last two hours of outgoing and first hour of incoming, it can be more difficult to get a bite. If you're in an area that has a high population of fish, you can still kind of grind through the less than desirable tidal periods. But really, it's important to be in those specific zones where that tide is absolutely perfect because what that does is, I mean, it affects the entire ecosystem. Flushes out the bait fish when the tide is getting lower, which gets the bass more active because the prey is really starting to get very vulnerable at that time frame. And that's why it can be so important. You know, and also different times of year, like I'm mentioned earlier, current can be good because it's pushing things through and kind of keeping the activity level high, but also current can be a negative. Like in the springtime, if there's a heavy spawn going on, to concentrate on high current areas is probably a mistake. You know, most of those fish are going to get back in the bayous, back in the backwater stuff where that water's warming a little bit quicker, and those fish are really attracted to that quick warming water. And conversely, in the summertime, you want to kind of stay away from those non-current areas and get where the current is pushing the hardest because that water's cooler and there's more bait flushing through there. And at that time of period, they've got less spawning and other behavioral patterns on their mind where it's more just really thinking about feeding. So there's a lot of dynamic in that. And typically, like when I grew up, man, if I fished more than eight foot deep, I was lost. It's a lot like the lowland reservoirs that I fish. I mean, with the exception that you have tide, you know. You got the tide fluctuation. So guys, what about, you know, this is something I have the least experience on and I know you guys are faced with dealing with throughout the entire year, but, you know, the natural lakes. Maybe, Pete, define what kind of you think a a natural lake is for those of us that maybe aren't familiar with the comparison versus a man-made. What's the difference between that and a man-made lake? Right. You know, natural lake, you have to think about it's formed naturally, and we have several of them, but usually there's something that makes that lake form itself. It's underwater springs, or, uh, and when I say that, boy, Aaron, I have to think about the television show we did there on Seminole, I believe it was. Oh, yeah. Um, And water temperature comes to play, especially this time of the year. You know, we just rode around looking for underwater springs because it's a constant. You know, it was, I remember, about 70 degrees or something like that. And you had, you know, lake temperature of 45 degrees, and all of a sudden you got a little area that's got 70 degrees. Of course, all the bait fishermen become active there, and then all of a sudden, you know, you start catching the bass there, too. And, and I mean, it's uh, it can be a heyday in the wintertime there on natural lakes. So that's probably what I would say about that. Now, man-made lake contour, you know, good gracious, it's so hard to read a man-made lake because of the contour. You know, you don't know if a guy's been out there with a bulldozer where this sand point looks like it comes out perfect and looking, you get out there to the end, all of a sudden it drops off to 60 feet because some guy's been out there digging a trench or something with a bulldozer. So those are really, really hard to read. And I would say out of all these, and I think we named about five of them, the man-made lake would be the hardest to catch fish on because of the contour changes that you're not expecting. And that's, where, again, where you use your electronics and things like that, for me personally. I, I hate to say I disagree with you, but because <laughs> I would much rather. You guys get me down in that grass and all that other stuff, and I'm bumming. But you're definitely right. You hit the nail on the head concerning the electronics, and that is, I believe, a huge tool for being able to break those down, those man-made. Right. Well, Darren, I mean, don't you think that, you know, not knowing the contour, 
let's maybe have a little bit of a discussion here to help you guys out. Um, not knowing the contours of the lake, really, because, you know, on natural lakes, I can say, okay, if we got pine trees all the way down one bank, I know for a fact that that's going to be a sand-type bottom. Or if you've got pea gravel and it converts to chunk rock or something else, I, I have an idea of what's on the bank. But if you're looking at the bank of a man-made lake and you've got, you know, pine trees going down through there and then, you know, maybe an oak tree or a couple oak trees or something, and you go out in front there and, and there's a ditch or a big culvert or something that someone has dug out, in my opinion, it changes it all. And that's why I think they're harder to catch fish on, harder to read than the others. Absolutely. You know, Pete, I do the exact same thing, though, of what you're referring to. So on the highland, it's just a lot easier for me because the hills are steeper, right? You guys, all you flatlanders down there, I can't see the freaking pine trees or the cedar trees. So I'm looking up on a bluff, right? And if I can see that there's a sheer rock wall or generally what I'm looking for on a lake like Table Rock, if I look on the ridge and I see a hillside full of cedar trees, I know that's a pretty rocky bottom, right? Because if it has a vertical ascent to it, I'm reading the topography just like you are, except for I think it's easier to read the topography because I can actually see it. Yeah. Uh, let me throw in there, topography is thrown out the window, right, on these natural lakes. You know, I go down to Florida. Oh, man-made, the man-made lakes, I would say. Yeah, not the natural, the man-made lakes, Kurt. Because like I said, they use equipment, heavy equipment to dig and change the contours of those lakes, and that's where I'm at. So go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, no. So I was going to take this to the, uh, you know, if you go down to Florida, structure, no such thing, right? I mean, it's just yeah, a freaking yeah. slow. It's like going in my yard. So right. you got tons of cover, but, you know, you all of a sudden, instead of breaking down what you might find on your structure scan or, or something of that nature, you really got to break down stuff visually to see, you know, what kind of grasses are holding fish or, or different things that you need to uh, focus on in order to have a productive day based on the time of year or particular behavioral patterns associated with that type of empowerment. And I agree, man-made for me is the toughest place. You know, growing up in Virginia, Bugs Island was, you know, yeah. one of those big man-made impoundments there. You have lack of current, you've got some structure, but as you said, Pete, they're kind of doing a lot of different things with that lake that really get the fish to spread out in a lot of ways. The only time you really crushed them at Bugs Island, when the water came up and flooded the buck brush, then everybody knew they could go up there and flip them up. But in the summertime, without any current and things to really position those fish on a man-made impoundment, it can be a lot tougher. So, uh, man, I, I knew that this question was going to be a marathon. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Hopefully a lot of people gained some real insight to different types of lakes that we have all over the country and really the variances that we need to take to attack them to hopefully be more productive anglers. But uh, let's get on to the O'Reilly Auto Parts, Better Parts, Better Prices Every Day listener question segment. This question comes from Michael Brendel from South Carolina. Michael asks, I have a question regarding fall fishing. I know from your podcast and the books I read that bass should move to the backs of creeks, but also the bass mainly feed on shad. It seems that most of the schools of shad I find are at the mouths of the creeks. So should I fish around the shad or go to the backs of creeks and fish toward the mouth? I would say on that question, Michael, there's no set rule, okay? You know, in fishing, bass fishing especially, rules are meant to be broken just about. So the answer to your question is I would fish where the bait is. And normally that's where you're going to find the game fish. The grass is not always greener on the other side. So if your bait fish are in the mouths of the pockets, then that's where I'd concentrate my efforts. The bass are not going to be far from the bait fish. And, you know, I feel very strongly about that. But the one thing you'll learn about fishing is the more that you learn, 
learn, the more you learn you don't know. So never leave fish that are biting just to go try to find other fish. It's usually not going to work for you. Of course, you have to do that sometimes when you're in tournament situations because you're looking for bigger fish. But for the most part, if I had the bait around the mouths of pockets, that's where I'd concentrate my efforts. So Pete, sometimes I know, me personally, when you're dealing, let's say, and I'll, I'll even name the bait fish, let's say the threadfin versus the gizzard shad, you know, when you have those schools that you can walk on, let's say across the mouth of a, of a pocket or a cove or something like that, you know, I've often found that you've got to move just a little bit away from that because if there are some staging fish, you know, the bass that are, are following those big schools, you know, they've got the real thing, right? And so I may go a little bit away from that boat length or couple boat lengths to try and find some that aren't so heavily tempted with millions and millions of the bait fish. Has that been your experience? Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I agree with you 100%, and you can have too much of a good thing. And we all know that, you know, late fall, the fish are very hard to catch whenever they get around the millions and millions of shad. I don't think it's a lack of fish being there, but I think it's just they have such an abundant food source that they become harder to catch. So sometimes on the outskirts, of that, like you're talking about, Aaron, where there's not quite as many. You still have the fish there, but they, they have a less of a selection to feed on. So when you present your lure to them, then you got a better chance of catching them. Well, Michael, that was a great question, and Pete, fantastic response. Michael, be sure to email us via support at BassEdge.com and let us know you heard your question answered on the show, and we will certainly get out that O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And always, let's kick off this new year, Bass Edge Nation. Send those questions to win your O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card to support at BassEdge.com or leave us a comment through our Facebook page or Twitter handle. Well, Pete, as always, what a great get-together today with old friends. And uh, I should say O-L-E, not O-L-D, because Kurt actually. (laughs) So, But uh, anyway, just uh, want to uh, wish you the best of luck as we are through the holidays. And and I guess, really, it's time to get to work, huh? Oh, yeah. And we're headed to Okeechobee, you know, real, real quick. So. I appreciate that, and it's wonderful to get with you guys, and and, uh, let's don't make it so long next time, okay? You bet. Well, Happy New Year to everybody at Bass Edge. Happy New Year to Pete, Aaron. It's been a great kickoff to 2016. Bass Edge will return after this short break. This is BASS Elite Angler, Russ Lane, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. What? 
Holy cow, man. We were covering some territory with that one. Really good stuff. You know, we probably hit Bass Fishing 101 right through Bass Fishing 503, which, of course, would be a graduate-level course. Right, Aaron? Because you are the graduate, Kurt. And in all seriousness, though, I mean, how fun was that to think about how much, uh, you know, we've done with Pete down through the years, episode one now to the first episode in 2016. But really getting it done, I loved the roundtable discussion format, you know, of being able to dive off into the man-made versus natural lakes versus the river systems. I just really took a lot from that interview. It's amazing how, you know, Pete kind of breaks down how not only the lakes change, but quite frankly, behavioral patterns change with those lakes. So it's super important to understand what type of fishery that you're attacking so that you can adjust based on what those things are. You know, you hear the saying, a bass is a bass is a bass, but let's face it, a bass over here isn't probably doing the same thing that the bass is over there. So uh, although there's a lot of things that transcend, there are several things that don't that you really need to be aware of to make your bass fishing and taking it to the next level. No question. And I think that is kind of the resource. I want to remind everyone, we have, as of the end of this episode, 223 episodes that you can go back throughout different times of year, different individuals, different lakes, specific baits, all of those things. It's right there at your fingertips. Be sure to visit either iTunes or certainly BassEdge.com to download some of those archives. At the beginning of 2016, we are at the end of episode number 223. Welcome aboard, everybody. Until next time, we will see you January 15th right here on Bass Edge Radio. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.